Hello and welcome to Extreme Perspectives. This is a monthly podcast created by The Sense Network to bring you conversations with people who see things differently and think differently. This podcast is for people who want to expand their mind and develop their creative intelligence. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. For 20 years, I've been seeking out people from the edges of culture, the creators, outliers, misfits, rebels, and the crazy ones. People who want to change things and push the human race forward. In this episode of Extreme Perspectives, I speak with a crazy one, science teacher, and creative thinking world champion, Emily Dixon. At her school, Emily is known as the crazy one, the teacher who every time the fire alarm sounds, the student thinks she set it off. Her love of science drives Emily to organize the most off-the-wall after-school clubs. These instill an experimental mindset in her students, who she thinks are missing out on the arts. Sit down, ears open, and expand your mind to understand more about why schools are a mindset and not just a building. Hello, Emily. Hello, Jeremy. How are you today? I'm doing brilliant, thank you. How are you? Excellent. It's been a bit of a busy day, but you know what? It's always so nice to speak to somebody friendly and have a conversation like this. Despite everything that's happened before this, this is the good bit. This is what it's all about. <laughs> meeting meeting new people, having a good chat. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to speaking to you. It's nice to have a good conversation about whatever we end up talking about. Lots of interesting things, I'm sure. I'm sure. But as you know, we always start with the same question. So before you introduce yourself, I have to ask, are you an outlier, a misfit, a rebel, or a crazy one? I'm a crazy one. <laughs> Although I think there's an element of, of all of those things you've said to me, I think I quite enjoy being the crazy one, the one where people are thinking, what on earth is she doing and, and what's going on? Because the one thing I think is there are people in my life whose, ma whose opinions matter to me, but that's not everybody out there. And if they're looking at me thinking she's doing something crazy, I think at least 50% of those people are thinking, but I wish I was doing what she was doing. Thank you so much for joining us. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and the journey that you've been on your life throughout your life your creative journey throughout your life so far yes of course so I had a fantastic childhood I'm very very lucky I've got loving parents grandparents a brother then we actually amazing we get on really well even though siblings sometimes squabble so I was very fortunate that everyone around me always encouraged me to be whoever I wanted to be and to explore lots of different options so um, I went into a single sex senior school where again I was encouraged to do whatever I liked and I was very interested in sciences I was also interested in languages and mathematics mathematics and um, sort of design and technology, decided uh, to go to university and was very stuck between physics and engineering, decided to do, to do physics and maths in the end. And I remember turning up at university and seeing that I was one of very few girls there. And that was a complete like 180 from what I was used to. Um, after about three weeks, I was the only girl left on the course. So it was just me and a load of boys, which was a bit tricky. And then got my degree. Uh, and I'd spent quite a long time with a lot of people around me saying, you'd make a really good teacher. You'd be a really good teacher. Me going, 
no, I don't think I would. And then I gave it a go and I absolutely love it. So I've been teaching now, oh my goodness, for about a decade, uh, just just over. So it's about a decade since I qualified. Uh, I've been at the same school for nine years and I absolutely adore it. I get to teach physics in the senior school, science to junior school students in a, in a science lab, which is amazing. That's Some of them have not seen sort of full-scale science equipment before. So it's so exciting. And the school allows me to explore my creativity in organizing house events. I've run creative thinking. I run lots of different school clubs from um, education based on like science club to Pokemon craft club and absolutely anything you can think of. So I'm very, very fortunate that I get the support at work and I get the support out of it and everyone's been fantastic and this year just got married to my now husband Mike so that was probably the big event of the year for me and looking forward to going off on honeymoon soon. Getting married I thought you might have said the new accolade of being the new <laughs> world champion for the the mind sports olympiads that was quite remarkable <laughs> you're the you're the you're the reigning champion creative thinker yeah. Yes absolutely so I've can be competing for it's been 10 years since I first competed and I've done it eight times because we had a, a couple of years for COVID um, off so I absolutely love it I got introduced to um, the MSO by by my now husband I said oh this creative thinking what is it he said I don't know much about it but I think you'd enjoy it I tried it uh, met the lovely Bill Hartston who was fantastic didn't do particularly well in my first year but it was just uh, an amazing chance to answer a question literally however you want to do it and then every year I've been going back competing and trying to get better I've had tie broken out of the gold I've had a close second place finish and, and, and that sort of thing you know always the bridesmaid never the bride and then ironically in the year where I was a bride I then succeeded <laughs> and was able to win the gold medal this year after eight tries and I was absolutely delighted. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Do you remember what any of the questions were this year? I do. I remember my favourite one was about toes, of all things. It was along the lines of something along the lines that that humans have five toes on each foot. uh, Explain why. And give the advantages and disadvantages of having four or six toes. And also suggest the ideal number of toes. So I got uh, started you know here's some advantages disadvantages gave some you know ideas for toes and counting them interlocking toes and things like that and then had the thought of what if the toes aren't on your feet so I started adding toes into your tongue where you could lift up the little toe paint the nail with reflective nail polish and use it at the dentist so they could see the back of your teeth Uh, (laughs) and toes on your head holding your hair back it it just sort of I I got that moment where I was like I'm being crazy right now but I'm just going to go with it and and I absolutely enjoyed it. And the more and more I was looking at the question, the more I loved it and the more I enjoyed writing it. Brilliant. I wish I could have read your entire response because I, <laughs> I actually love I love the way that Bill, who not only sets the questions, but also um, judges in the broadest um, possible term, gives you a little bit of a feedback about what he liked about the ideas as well. I do like his summing up that comes back. It's always It's always good to see how he's interpreted them and why he's enjoyed them. Oh, absolutely. I love I love listening to that. And, and sort of after you've done a round, that little chat you have when you go outside the room for a little break and everyone says, oh, what did you put? What did you put? It's just an absolute melting pot of ideas. It's fantastic. Just the different lines everybody went down. And so hearing that from everyone and hearing Bill's you know, summary of it all just makes it even more fascinating. Now, I have to ask, 
how much of this do you then transpose to the classroom? I'd say as much as possible. <laughs> I try to be, I, I sort of say to the students that if you don't understand something, I want to try and explain it in a way that you will. And sometimes I give the warning to the students of this is going to sound really strange, but bear with me. And that happens quite a lot. So there's some examples where um, I'm trying to explain pressure to students about uh, particles colliding with, with the container wall or something like that. And I'll talk to them about a pen of sheep and I'll talk about, well, if you gave the sheep more energy, let's feed them a Red Bull. What's going to happen? Oh, they run faster and now they collide with the walls more often. And it's me trying to describe pressure to them in the maddest of ways but I have actually had students come back to me and say miss I remembered the sheep I remembered the sheep and all the other teachers are going what was the sheep how was that and but it makes sense so it doesn't work for everyone but hopefully there's a few students out there that that get something out of the the craziness now this this might be quite a controversial question to be asking so early on in our conversation and um you may you may say I'm not prepared to answer that not not on a recording. But what would you say is currently wrong with the education system, or how it's sort of formally and conventionally uh, sort of thought about? Because I I'm quite into this. I better just let 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 you know that right now. But I, I'd love to hear your opinion that if you were if you were if you were changing things, what would you what would you change? Gosh, I think that's a huge question. There's quite a lot that I think needs tweaking. I think if I try and think of the thing that's been the most current or the most recent sort of bugbear of mine is with the whole aspect of, of COVID impacting education. I think there's a lot of talk about lost learning. There's a lot of talk about what went missing, but part of me wants to say actually teachers need to be highlighted because we didn't sit and do nothing during all that time you know we're not amazing NHS workers going out and risking our lives but we were still working during it and actually the biggest thing for me isn't the loss of learning for the students because that can be made up and in lockdown it's the loss of social like social aspect of it and I think there's there's been quite a lot of focus in the news and and, and government about the learning that's lost but students actually not getting time to sit and play with their friends or sit and talk to their friends is I think the biggest thing that they've, they've suffered about and it's that idea that education isn't just about in the classroom learning it's about the bonding with friends it's about those after school clubs it's about competing in house activities that to me was the biggest loss that we had during covid that that isn't as appreciated as it should be i would agree with you in fact i experienced that firsthand with my eldest daughter who was that was her sixth form year and this was this was the year that they you know should have been spending summer afternoons when they're supposed to be playing sport sort of sitting around in the sun I was going to say smoking cigarettes but that might have been me um <laughs> but the, the but you know they, they did miss all that social time and that and that's that's the biggest scar that it's left I think from that from that whole period it was that 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 socializing and the, the you know the end of term after the exams when they were finished that that's the bit that they were almost spending their entire through all those years of schooling the bit that they were most going to look forward to because that was the moment that they were sort of released so uh yeah i i i completely um completely understand that that sentiment sorry i actually say that to my students i say year 11 is rubbish year 13 is rubbish because you've got to work really really hard you're going to get tired but you're going to get a massive holiday at the end of it so yeah i did feel a little bit of that oh gosh i hope they're not remembering that when they're they're missing their break but i see it from a teaching aspect but i suppose how did you find it as, as a parent if you don't mind me asking like how did you sort of deal with you know 
having to say actually you can't go and do these things was was it difficult or were you able to bond with other parents over it i think i i was i was a little bit uh more more stoical about it sort of um and if if anything it was one of those lessons a little bit like um having a flight cancelled when you're at the airport or some you know things that are out of your control and you know you have to you just you can't sweat them you can't let them you know sometimes you just have to sort of breathe through it and and let that one go and sort of say look things like this happen in life now that was a very big one because it was for such a period long period of time and with maybe a daughter with not more experience that's a big thing that's a really big thing that you you were looking forward to and you you didn't get but i tried to turn it more into a just a a lesson for life when things don't always work out and i said there will be other time you know there will be other kind of moments where you will experience that and sometimes you know when you have been deprived of something it actually something else could happen later in life where it completely has prepared you for it so you can you can look back and actually say that was a so you see i tried I tried to she's she's now studying philosophy so I'm I'm sure that she's um she's she's going to find some find some wisdom in that experience somewhere but I know other people found that much harder um but yeah I I try not to complain too much about circumstances out of my control that was that was the lesson that I tried to pass on and there will be other things so uh, yeah yeah it's it, it you can't deal with with everything going on around you but you can deal with how you react to it so yes and and I think that's what it is so if in our work we talk about reframing things and and that's what you're trying to do you know what have you been afforded by not doing that oh you get to spend more time with me um (laughs) (laughs) yeah or for me my my form get to spend more time being sent silly tasks rather than homework things like I sent them a video of a theme park that had used their rapids ride because they were closed they'd inflated three giant ducks put them in the rapids and they were like off they go which one do you think is going to win and that was what I talked to my form about so actually as much as there was you know sad parts just trying to make them smile was actually a really nice part thinking this is my job I get to make them smile and and feel good about themselves so yes silver linings are in there somewhere well there you go again another great sort of different way of of engaging your class so do you have a form class and you're with the form class or do you have many different classes that you're teaching I have many different classes. So I have a form group. So we meet in the in the mornings for form time, which at the moment is a year nine group. I've had them for, this is my second year with them and I'll get to keep them all the way through till till they leave, you know, in, at sixth form, which is nice. But um, I teach, at the moment, I teach anywhere from year four up to year 11. But I have taught A-level in, in last year and in previous years as well. Do you have a reputation in the... Um staff room as being the crazy one or have other people adopted your methods is anything is is anyone else catching on to your approach I believe so yes (laughs) I definitely started as sort of the crazy one and then just little things where the more and more comfortable I got being myself at work I started wearing sort of very brightly print dresses and so the students started noticing the staff started noticing a couple of other staff have started doing that as well and then I was given a buddy at school. This was during during sort of the COVID time when we were in, you know, in and out. And 
we got on like a house on fire. I was so grateful. She's she's such a close friend to me now. And she's kind of, I think, adopted that, right, let's get out this flame testing and let's do this really cool experiment as well. And then they've just given me another buddy. So I mustn't have done too bad a job. And she's brilliant as well. And so I say to the kids, like on a Monday morning when they're all half asleep, they must be absolutely sick of the two of us because we're so energetic and bubbly. Like, right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And I said, some days they must want us to come in tired because we're we're both so like that and so out of the box that... I love it, but it means I've got a good variety of staff around me. But you've also got the other kind of staff. So in my department, if a student doesn't like, you know, me explaining pressure with sheep, I tell them to go to my head of department who will give them a much more sort of physics explanation rather than a a, a strange example like that. So we're a good team. You've had complaints about your um, slightly (laughs) unorthodox teaching style. (laughs) <laughs> not many students. I have had a couple that said I'm not quite sure what she meant by that. Yes, but uh, I think the the main complaint I get at school from my reputation is uh, whenever the fire alarm goes off, at least one student says, "Miss, was that you?" It's never been me, just for the record, but I get asked quite a lot if that was my fault. <laughs> oh, that's quite a good reputation to have. <laughs> so, what I'd be tri- intrigued to understand if if you were were to reflect on your approach. What are some of the lessons that the other teachers might be taking away from you? You know, are you getting better engagement? Well, I I, I think it, it is uh, Sir Ken Robinson. I think in his TED talk, he or any of his stuff, he does talk about the importance of having fun, doesn't he? And sort yes. of playing with things, yeah. and that's you know, and that for me, it's like learning to play with words, learning to play with numbers, learning to play with music, rather than learning scales, rather than learning this, rather than, you know, you've got to have a little bit of fun, because, (laughs) but anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to answer the question, (laughs) I just, I I wanted to show you some of my enthusiasm for this, and I'd be hungry to learn uh, a little bit more. (laughs) No, I I absolutely agree with you. I absolutely love experiments. It's my favourite thing. I have a science lab. We have several science labs. I have one where I'm I'm based a lot of the time. And we take students as young as year four over to that science lab. So they're really small behind the desks, which is very sweet. But they are allowed to use, obviously not full equipment quite, but we get, you know, we sort of ordered loads of plastic versions. So the just the delight of saying to a student, I'm not just going to ask you which you think is best. I'm going to get you to make a prediction. And then we're going to do a full-blown experiment to test it. And even if it's just checking the temperature of waters that they do to start with or the first time they light a Bunsen burner, they're so excited because if you're then asking them about how things work, they know and you can say, well, what would you, how does it work? Because they've tried it. So my favorite thing to do is is to get out equipment to, to illustrate, but also to give them a chance to investigate as well, sort of pose an idea to them of if they've got a question what would happen if I do this assuming it's safe my usual answer is why don't you try it and see what happens and it's great to see them take it a little bit beyond the scope of what they need to know because yes they have to know x y and z for an exam but actually I'd rather they go out with you know intellectual curiosity I'd rather they learn those kind of skills and rather than just focusing on on what they need to know for a test. I've got to share some of our values with you we have four values which is be human be creative collaborate and be hungry but under under be hungry we have uh, five principles and one of those is push your boundaries and just start it's that i think that's just what you're it's just encouraging that experimental mindsets and just just trying stuff and forming a hypothesis, I just think is so important. And 
so much of this gets lost because I think this is where sort of science and creativity uh, starts to meet and you can start to, um, you know, it's, it's not just for science, it's for life and trying stuff out. And I think that was one of my, I, I mean, I have a little bit of shtick around this. I, I, I sometimes refer to the tyranny of science because there is a <laughs> massive, massive scientific bias to the world that we live in. And, and it's like, well, if you can't prove it, it's not. And it's like, well, no, that's that's not what it's about, because new ideas can come from anywhere. And as we have learned and as we learned all so often, they can come from the most sort of unusual places where that inspiration strikes and you can you can solve a problem. But I think just encouraging experiments and, you know, practical stuff, you know, hands on stuff. It feels like so much of that gets taken away. And you're not encouraged to do it. You're just kind of, it's a very linear pattern. And in fact, you know, we're living in an age now where machines can do all the linear stuff. And what we need to be learning to do is is to think differently and to see things differently. And you can only really do that if you have been, if you have been encouraged to be curious, if you have been encouraged to experiment and, and, and play around with stuff, obviously in a, in a safe way. Safe way. <laughs> in a safe way yeah no I, I i completely agree with you it's the it, i agree as well with this sort of the idea of a science bias a little bit as well in terms of there seems to be quite a lot of priority put on the sciences and i, I obviously love that i love stem subjects but stem subjects don't work without the other subjects as well they have a name stem because they're not everything else you know sometimes we get steam we throw in the arts as well because it bonds so well but the skills that you learn in any subject can transfer to another subject and the best thing you can do is to put those those skills together and use them so skills that you learn in in writing an essay in in history or and researching and analyzing text transfer to science but things you learn being artistic and creative in other lessons transfer to science just as well there there might be a, a right answer in an exam mathematically or or as a as a term but that doesn't mean that it's the only answer it means that there could be more that we don't understand <laughs> you know look back of I remember being at school and being told Pluto's not a planet anymore so science isn't isn't definite and and, and forever it's the best interpretation that we have of things now and we need to make sure you're right we don't lose the human aspect to it and the creativity that comes of being human rather than being a computer and, and i really liked what you were saying about what you can learn from all those different subjects because often i mean we we forget that you can do that as a sort of as an individual it's you know it's always that the value of that sort of well the ultimate form is the polymath, you know, the person that has a, a lot of a very broad and deep knowledge of subjects. But that's something else that we really value as well. And we talk about is that cognitive diversity. It is being able to transfer that idea from that topic in that area and uh, transfer it somewhere else. And I liked what you were saying about history, because when I speak with historians, the discipline that they learn is that triangulation, is being able to take different facts. Uh, you know, what did the experts say? What did the desk research and the diaries say? And, you know, you know, what do we know from other fields during that period? What was the temperature like? What was it? You know, and I think that's when that's when the story becomes whole. And I don't sometimes I just don't think there's enough of that interdisciplinary or it's just not accepted enough. We don't we don't we, there isn't enough cognitive diversity actually in organizations in workplaces and things like that and you know you forget it's probably school where we are exposed to all of those things but quickly we are then asked to specialize 
and forget forget all of that stuff and start thinking in straight lines again. Which is which is a shame because there's just school puts everything together you've got all the different subjects you're combining you jump from one subject to another you throw in the extracurricular the sport and, and the arts everything else as well it, it, it creates such a well-rounded or a diverse mix it is a shame that going out into daily life people don't always get the opportunity to explore that in their jobs and roles so if you were to design a school from from scratch here we go we're going to go off <laughs> on one now where where would you begin and and how would you design a school system differently if you had your way oh gosh I think the most important thing first is to think away from the building and the infrastructure and think about what kind of a community you want to build and making sure that whilst you build in time for for the lessons and education you also build some time into that for I don't know sort of being a human skills and practicing things like can you hold a real life debate? Can you stand up and, and do some public speaking? Can you do you feel self confident enough to to share your opinions or to be yourself? And I think it it's it's school you're supposed to be learning, but learning isn't just about facts, figures, and 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 how to do particular things for subjects. It's all sorts of different creative skills. So for me, I think the best school would would mash together the sort of your standard education of subjects and life skills. Yeah, that's that's certainly missing. I had a remarkable conversation about a year ago. I had to go to Germany, um, I had to fly to Switzerland and, and go by car. And I think I had about an hour and a half journey to where I needed to go. This is the fastest way to get to this location. And the chap driving the car had spent his entire career as a Steiner teacher. And I had the most remarkable conversation with him about the school that he he was running, and it just it's and and it and some of the things that you were mentioning there just triggered that a, f- a few memories from uh, that conversation because it was it 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 was a more balanced. There were other things that were very important, and it was about the I think the the quality of those experiences as well. It wasn't just going through the motions; it was actually spending time doing things and being very thoughtful about those things you're doing as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm very fortunate with the place I'm at that I can get some of that into into the school. I, I'm one of the things, part of my role is in charge of a subject called Aspire, and it includes sort of public speaking, debating. They also do one-off lessons on things like sign language, and we look at different awareness of things. So actually, it's nice to have that opportunity, but I realise that that's not something that's that's kind of wide widely out there because rightly so teachers are incredibly busy trying to get through the curriculum that's put in front of them to get students to the grades that they're going to be held to and it's difficult to find the time to fit those things in so I'm forever grateful that that I've been given the opportunity to add some of those skills into into the daily school life. One of the things that I think about a lot as well or I say but now this is where I might have to update how I think I do do sometimes feel that that creativity is almost taught out of us and it sounds like you're trying to put that back in because creativity as it's not it's not really taught you know they're sort of like you said they're they're the arts and you get to do I mean what falls under arts these days I'd probably include art well we have sort of we have our son art subject with sort of painting and sculpting and things I'd also throw possibly some aspects of of um, design and technology in there and we also have drama I suppose would would all fall into that category but nothing necessarily focuses on the actual well the creative process 
you know, and and I think that's the you know that's the piece. I, I mean, I talk to a lot of people who have had to make it up themselves, and there are some really similar. There are lots of recurring themes. Now, however, they describe it. Actually, the activities that they're going through, whether that is you know going out and looking for information or getting feedback from people that they trust, not to ridicule them, but you know to kind of when you know certainly when it's early ideas that they're playing with and, and getting that feedback. These are lots of <clears throat> similar themes, but often I think. You know what what subject maybe it is actually in the sciences it's hidden somewhere where you know we wouldn't think of looking for a creative process but maybe the is the experimentation is the creative bit and I've been overlooking that it's just got me thinking about it now <laughs> I'm glad it has though I think I agree it's that when people think of the sciences you think of oh there's a right and a wrong answer but there had to be a significant creative process to get to that point uh, there's the amount of times where we'll be teaching something and I'll think who on earth decided to try and find that out as the answer why do we know this as humans what at some point like it was fascinating but who decided who worked out that we could drink the milk from a cow who worked out that there was you know who sort of thought what on earth are those things up in the sky I'm going to build a device that looks at them there's an amazing amount of creativity behind science that sometimes we can get so focused on learning what's already been discovered and facts and figures that we don't appreciate the the creativity and sort of out of the box thinking that had to go into finding those discoveries well that's I think that's often what is forgotten we glorify the technology without necessarily understanding what was the you know what was the genesis of of that idea and it and at the root of all it is often human ingenuity i haven't heard of alien intervention yet so it must be (laughs) some form of human ingenuity human error as well this this idea that getting things wrong is is a good thing and that's so incredibly difficult to teach students that actually you've made a mistake that's brilliant you've learned something new from it and the idea that they see scientists and think oh they knew everything Einstein was so clever and all these scientists were were, were fantastic but they they didn't know they didn't know everything and actually they probably had quite a lot of mistakes before they sort of hit the nail on the head and discovered something and particularly with having google now you do think you know everything but that's what I've been learning. There are there are sources for, for places you can find stuff that's not on Google. And I think it's from conversations like this. <laughs> yes, I would agree. I think the, the, you can't get human interaction no matter how many books and articles you read. And everything you know, online is filtered. It's edited to make it perfect. But it's those imperfections that are sometimes the most magical. I think I've probably shared this story before. But I remember once going to Faber and Faber, the publisher's offices in London and on their top floor they had this amazing it was a big perspex case and it must have been five meters maybe a little bigger and in this in this case uh, was the the, almost the, the the creative documentation of William Golding's Lord of the Flies from his first letter to the publisher which was just you know sort of ridiculous idea (laughs) (laughs) to him persevering with the manuscript and sending it to somebody else who there's something in that you know and the title didn't even emerge the lord of the flies until about two-thirds of a way along this cabinet and and so often uh we are led to believe there is this work of a lone genius and it's sort of this work of perfection that just gets delivered and you know this beam of light comes down to sort of celebrate its kind of um arrival in the world And, and yet it's not it's this long painful 
process of rejection and rude letters and everything else that goes with it. And, and again, I think, you know, that is a very beautiful thing. And that is the process, you know, the iterative process that, that we go through and have to take inspiration from to create a book like The Lord of the Flies, which is which is a great book. Oh, absolutely. It, 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 it must have been quite fascinating just to see that and think, try and sort of empathise and put yourself in the shoes of thinking, oh my goodness, what must they have been going through thinking this is never going to work to the elation of it, of it achieving just the wonders that it has. So what do you recommend to the, the, the children that, for extracurricular stuff? What, what, if they are like love working with it, being in your classroom and, you know, enjoying your are there other things? Do you point them to links? I'm, I'm secretly asking for myself now. Um, <laughs> what are the places that you go to for, for inspiration? Are there any links that you share with them or things that they, you know, for those that are hungry to learn more, where do you point them? Oh, goodness. Oh, trying to think through if I've got any sort of secrets up my sleeve. We've got the all the standard links of if they're struggling with Homer, but they're not the same sort of thing. I think I it, it it's always a, a sort of a brave but careful thing to recommend that they go and do some research and watch some sort of things online to try and do some research. And if they're feeling comfortable enough, I always, I'm always terrified about saying, actually, if you're really interested in that, why don't you go and test it out at home? Because I'm terrified I'm going to get a parent saying, why on earth have you told my child to do this? But sometimes it is good to see them sort of trying ideas out. And I think the there isn't a sort of a secret link. I wish I did. I wish I had somewhere where I could say, actually, students, off you go and do this. I think the biggest thing we've done is is sort of trying to introduce that that creative thinking competition and try to mm. show them that it's a, a question that could sort of bring in your experience from from any different subject and things like that and just encourage them encourage them encourage them to to appreciate that there is no such thing as as getting something completely wrong that if someone if a student gives a wrong answer I never like to say no that's not right I'm always thinking actually what does that lead to what can that connect to so uh, and I'm always trying to say to them set them challenges if I think actually they're interested in something I might ask them a question and I say, even if I know the answer just sort of say can you go and try and find this out because then hopefully they can go away and, and try and learn a little bit more about something that they're they're interested in and hopefully expand their creativity yeah I often talk about there is a point you get to where you're almost well, it's learning to learn actually and it's that yeah. in it and it's um being, being able to go off and and have that initiative to sort of ask the first question and then ask a better question and keep going the, one of the reasons I, I was asking is because we've we've spent a lot of time thinking about that because well where, where do you go and this is uh one of the things that we developed uh, was an introduction to creative intelligence. So how to develop your creative intelligence. And it was an introduction. It's it's a self-directed course. Now, that is free to members of the Sense Network. If you join the Sense Network, you can get that. But I was thinking you have to be over 18 to join the network where it is. So one of the things I was thinking about was uh, maybe we should design one for schools. Yes, <laughs> that would be fantastic. Well, because you get to the, I've I've reached the point I think where you start to think it's my civic duty now to start <laughs> sharing what we've learned, and you know how can how can we take the benefit of what we've learned over twenty plus years, and you know 
spread that with more people so they can have the joy that we have of learning new things and getting challenged and meeting interesting people and generally expanding our minds and I know not everyone is into that actually some people just want to stop and go right I know enough I don't I don't need any more (laughs) things in my life but fortunately I'm surrounded by people who do enjoy doing that so maybe that is something um, we could uh, we, we could talk about a bit further. Yeah, that would be fantastic. I think it, it, it would open doors both ways as well because I'm constantly amazed by the things that, that students think of that I never would have thought of. And I think you're right, it's that idea of either creativity is taught out of us or even if we try not to, there's an element of sort of growing up and thinking, actually, this is a thing that works. Trying to think of things that are more, to as an adult, that are outside of the box probably aren't to lots of children and they'll come up with all sorts of things that, that I just that even I didn't think of. And so the idea of, of sort of teaching them how they can expand their creativity, hopefully we can we can learn back from them as well. I think lots of people sort of sleep on the younger generation where and think, oh, you know, we can help them, which is brilliant. We should. But actually, in some respects, they can help us, too. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Well, maybe I would, one of the questions I always ask is, is there anything that the sense network can help with but i'm actually thinking on this occasion well maybe you could help us um (laughs) figure out figure out how we could adapt the the course that we have got and i mean it might just be fine as it is but it would be it would be certainly worth you know considering that you are the world creative thinking (laughs) champion secretly looking for your endorsement on this but um in fact maybe we should do a meet up in the network and those people that who are interested in designing things for for children or if that's a worthy cause maybe we could do a meetup off the back of that and uh, explore it a little bit further oh that'd be fantastic or if there's any sort of if if there are members of the sense network that that have links to education or 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 not education but working with children there's lots of other roles within schools and outside of schools where they come into contact with with and work with children sort of professionally it would be fascinating to get their input as well of, of of what have they experienced or perhaps look at what you have already for adults and think where would where would we be able to make some good tweaks to make it more sort of under 18 friendly? Well, it's been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you too. I've had a fascinating time. It's wonderful. I'm going to go off with so many thoughts in my head now. <laughs> well, actually, maybe it was asking questions to a teacher uh, for, for once rather than uh, teachers asking <laughs> me lots of questions. Well, thank you so much, Emily. Um, I look forward to uh, speaking with you again some point in the future. Thank you too, Romy. I do too. And, and absolutely love what you're doing at the, at the Sense Network. I'm, I'm so excited for, for this idea. And just to, if, if I can be any, any help at all with, with anyone else's ideas, I, I would love to, to collaborate on, on as many things as possible. Because I agree with you, the more people that, that get together and share ideas, the more we can learn from each other just as humans. Yeah, let's not forget that. Be human. Be kind. Thank you for listening to Extreme Perspectives brought to you by Sense Worldwide. We'd love you to join this conversation using the hashtag Extreme Perspectives. If you enjoyed it, leave us a review. The Sense Network collaborates with many of the world's most innovative companies to help them be more innovative. Join us at thesensenetwork.com or get in touch via email hello at senseworldwide.com.